Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me is Robert Smiley with the Hand Up Project. Thank you. Good afternoon. So, Robert, I have seen videos of you. I've seen you on TV. I've seen you on so many uh events where people have interviewed you and then i read a story about the guy on the corner of 164th jimmy jimmy and i saw that you had said he went into rehab but he still wanted to be on the corner because he thought people were looking forward to seeing him there yes correct so i drove by the other day and there he was all dressed up like santa and i never do this because i don't i i believe if we're going to donate we should give money to a charity rather than a person on the street. Correct. Uh, and um, we can talk more about that. But I did reach in my purse and handed him money because I knew he was clean and sober. And I knew his mission was to entertain people with his guitar on the corner. Yes. So I said, I'm a friend of Robert Smiley's <laughs> and drove off. But uh, that's because of something I read. And, uh, you know, I know with the Hand Up Project, there's so many things when I met you uh, the first time, I was just so impressed with all that you were doing. So why don't you just tell us? Well, pretty much what uh, the purpose is, is to try and help people that can't help themselves. They're desperate and they're trying, but the uh, resources out there are limited. And I deal mainly with uh, recovering addicts and alcoholics, but I also deal a lot with the homeless people because I we go out in the woods and we uh, talk to people out in the woods, try and get them help. And uh, then we go in and clean up the woods, get all the garbage in the tents out, and then clean up the property, get all the needles out and everything. And that's usually done by a bunch of volunteers, most of whom are in our recovery houses. That's one of the requirements for my recovery house is that they do volunteer in the community that we at one time corrupted. <laughs> exactly. And and y I... When I worked at Esther's place, I really saw the value in volunteering. And talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, volunteering, it, it, when people are new to recovery, they don't really understand what's going on with them. One of the worst places they can go is back to their family. Recovery houses that have structure, though, uh, they get to learn new behaviors, um, especially if they get in one that... Um, no knows what they're about to go through. Uh, we have a lot of requirements in ours. They have to be willing to go to meetings, get a sponsor, volunteer in the community. We have house meetings, uh, peer group meetings in our houses, as well as uh, relapse prevention meetings. And on Sunday nights, we have arts and crafts because a lot of people have kids. And they get to make some mistakes on their behavior because their first reaction is normally wrong. And um, they realize it and they start beating themselves up and we can't let that go on. We got to let them know that we're all a work in progress. So a lot of grace. Yes. Yes. There is a lot of compassion. We are uh, very strict, but at the same point, people got to know that we're on their side. And we're not better than them. We're just people that have went through it before. And we explain what happened to us. And if it'll work for them, great. But there's limitations. We don't allow any type of relationships in our houses. Uh, they are co-ed. But it's not like they're allowed to go in each other's rooms or touchy-feely stuff. 
because we found that if we're working this program from day one, six months down the road, we're going to be a totally different person. And that's not fair to anybody you get in a relationship with because they, you might hesitate change if you think you're going to lose your mate. And so we found that if we just focus on treating each other with dignity and respect, following our guidelines, and mainly focusing on their recovery program, they have to be enrolled in outpatient services. And um, that's where we're having a lot of success. And when they come out every Saturday morning, we do an outreach at Trinity Lutheran Church on 196 and 99. And they have the shower truck uh, from DJ Rav, and they have uh, shower to the people show up. And they put on a hot meal, neighbors in need. And they have clothes they can pick up and haircuts. But mainly... The people in our house get an opportunity. We have a table set up to volunteer and talk to the people that are showing up there. We know them and they know us. And when they're ready, they know we'll do whatever we can to help them. But until then, if they need a ride to like a doctor's or um, they need to get an ID or a voucher or whatever, well, we'll assist them in it because we want to maintain the close contact for when they are ready. And then the people in the house that are volunteering there, the volunteer servers or dishwashers, um, they get to see people. And it's it's funny, but once you got like 30 days under your belt and you meet people that you've been on the streets with, you view them totally different. And there's a lot of compassion, a lot of gratitude. And it's just a very emotional experience that we love watching. That is so cool. Tell me about a typical day for you, because I see you posting on Facebook, and I know that you just get calls, you take calls. Yeah. So what's um, a typical day like? I wake up and do my own meditation, try not to answer the phone or anything for about a half hour and do my you know, meditation. And uh, then I start looking through the messages and uh, phone calls and then Facebook and try and plan out how the day's going to go. Uh, it never works out that way, <laughs> but as long as I get to where the coffee is, we got a good start. <laughs> but um, now I have so many volunteers with us that I can delegate. I've got a housing supervisor that runs all the houses, so we don't have to over. I don't have to oversee that all the time. And we've got to outreach people that. Uh, when we're scheduling to do a cleanup or go out and hand out backpacks, they've got all that put together. And we've got people that go out and try and get donations for the backpacks or for whatever. We are a nonprofit. We are 100%. Uh, we, there's no paid positions in our organization. The money that comes in goes right to the people. And right now, a lot of it is hand warmers. Um I've got a young lady that makes these uh, mats, sleeping mats out of uh, grocery bags. Wow. Plastic bags. I've seen those. That's awesome. And it helps separate the people from the ground. Mm -hmm. And I realize I'm giving them something that's going to end up being trashed or whatever, but if we're going out there and cleaning it up afterwards, why not? Yeah. Once we let them know that they do matter, um, every time they see us, they kind of get that idea that, am I ready yet? 
And I go into a store or 7-Eleven or anywhere, and I get people that say, you're Robert Smiley. Can you help me? I want to go to detox or treatment. And I can get anybody into detox and treatment within 24 hours. So if, if somebody is listening to this and they have somebody in their family that they think is ready, because that's operative, right? Right. And they don't know what to do next, they can get a hold of the Hand Up Project. I hope you don't edit this. My number is 425-971-1774. You are so brave. And I don't, if I don't answer, I will call back. You will. I've experienced that. All right. Um, I just don't want people feeling like there's no hope. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can't help you, there's a good chance I know somebody that can. You know, a lot of families I deal with, they call me up because they have a loved one and that they want to get help for. If the individual isn't ready, it's not really going to work. But what I like to do is I work with the family to teach them how to t- treat and interact with that individual. A lot of times it's hard because sometimes I'll talk to the addict and then I'll talk to the family and I let them both know that from this point on, if the addict calls, you got to say, I love you, call Robert, hang up. If they come to the door, you got to say, I love you, call Robert and shut the door. And it is excruciating for especially moms to have to do this to their child. But I have to be the only resource they reach out to. And I guarantee you when they call, I'm there. It is really hard for a parent to turn their child away. But the worst thing you can do is let them in because then you're giving them a little more time to be on drugs. But if you say no, they have to go to somebody that can actually help them. Now, especially because a lot of families, well, they won't let the addict in. Uh, because of what they've done around the house and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they'll give them like a food card or food or some money for some smokes because they don't want them to be warned. They still love them. And that's why I tell people, I'm sorry to say, but you're loving them right into a graveyard. Wow. And I've seen it too many times, especially now with the drugs that are out there are the fentanyl and all this other stuff that's going on. I need them to stop as soon as possible. And if we're interacting, I let the family know if you really love this individual, I've got to be the one to answer. Thank you for saying that. I, I just think it's going to relieve a lot of guilt on parents, but also it's informing. And I always say there's a difference between being nice and being kind. Being nice, you feel bad, so you do something for them. Being kind is saying, I love you so much, I'm not going to do exactly. this for you. And that is perfect. And I love you saying that. <laughs> we need to we need to help these people. A lot of people will just throw their hands up in the air or they have something bad to say. And these are normally people that don't really understand addiction. And I try to explain to both the addict and the family that you're no longer dealing with a loved one. You're dealing with a drug. That person is doing stuff that normally they would not do. And you'd never think they would do it. That's where it's not them. It's the drug making them do stuff. One of the things I let people know is I did so many disrespectful, unkind, and dirty things while I was drinking and drugging that today there's no chance I'd do it. But while on that narcotic, that thought never came through. My way of thinking was not right. When I got sober, I started listening to people that actually had time and cared about people, and they taught me how to treat others. And that's what we do. So tell me what brought you here to doing this kind of work. I couldn't stay sober. I had been going to a 12-step program for 12 years. 
And they said, keep coming back until you hear your story. And I could never stay sober very long. After about 12 years of this, I finally told myself that enough. I'm going to try this program and I'm going to do exactly what they say for one year. But in a year and a day, I'm going to go party my butt off. And I said that in meetings. But to get that one year, I told myself I was going to do this program exactly the way it's suggested to me. And so I went into detox and I went into treatment for 30 days. And when I came out, I was going to meetings. I went to smaller meetings so I can get to know them. And plus, I kept running into too many victims in the other meetings. I took advantage of a lot of people mm -hmm. in the program to support my addiction. One of the meetings I went to, an old timer told me, Robert, if you're tired of failing at this program, you might want to actually try this program. And instantly, it set off memories of every time I tried to get sober working this program of where I took control. Or I decided, well, I need to do this, but I won't do that. I didn't agree with a lot of things, so I didn't do it. So this time around, I told myself, I'm going to do exactly what you said because I'm ready to prove you wrong. It's not going to work for me. The problem was is that I started volunteering. I started doing outreach. I started secretary meetings. I started doing cleanup. I was totally involved with the program. And when I got close to a year sober, I didn't care about going back out. I had a completely different view on my life. I enjoy caring about people for no other reason than that's what we're supposed to do. And you're really good at it. I don't have any money. I don't have any toys. But I tell you what, whenever I run into a situation with somebody, if I talk to my higher power, it seems to show up. I find that a lot of times people come in with a need, but what they really need is to be heard. Yes. And you're a good listener. Now, when I asked you about your day, what I was getting at is I see on Facebook you post, hey, I'm trying to get someone to detox or rehab right now, and I don't have the funds to do it. Right. So how does somebody, if this is on their heart, how do they help you out with this? Well, they can go to our website and click donate, or they can join me on Facebook. I send them links, and I try to just show all the money that's coming in and where it's going to go to, because it takes like over $100 to get people to Port Angeles. And that's where you take them. I they... like to take them there or Skagit Detox up in Burlington. When people around here, it's hard to get, get somebody in right away. Yeah. And then when they get them in... They come out of detox and have to wait two or three weeks to get into an inpatient most of the time. These two organizations, then when they're done with the detox, they'll get them into inpatient right away without any gap. And they also allow the clients when they come in to smoke, uh, have caffeine and sugar. The reason why I found that to be very important is simply because when I went into treatment and they didn't allow me to have any of those things, when I came out, I'd have a cigarette with a cup of coffee and sugar and physically, my body just relapsed. And then my mind soon followed. I know smoking's not a great thing. Caffeine's not great for you. Sugar, yeah. What's important to me right now is I just get the drugs out of the system and then, then getting people to understand who they are. Seems like when they're on these drugs, they cannot make a conscious decision. Right. And they don't understand the decision they're about to make and they get scared and they run or they don't show up or they just get out of detox and they're really scared yeah and then they don't show up they go back to drugs that's why i like the concept of when we get people to these uh, detox centers i have volunteers drive them that way they're they're bonding on the way to detox then when they go into treatment and stuff i encourage them to continue to call me so we can set up funding through the county for housing so that when they come out 
They're not going back to family, which is the worst place they exactly. can go. And they're not going to the streets. They're going right into a house. It's very rare to find places that will accept taking somebody in without actually having funding available. I don't really care. If they successfully complete detox or treatment, I know I'm going to be able to find them funding somewhere. And so I take them in. What's really amazing about what you do is if someone's ready, you take them. And I know the frustration in like in the cities in Seattle and Everett is that someone says, I'm ready. We make all the phone calls. They have to schedule an evaluation. Then they have to wait for detox. Then they have to wait to get in. And by then they've already lost their clarity they had for a minute and what they will tell us as people who are trying to help they'll say well just tell them to use until we can get them there exactly and that feels horrible to me that's a ludicrous point of view one of the most ludicrous and that's a big word for me to say (laughs) but somebody will comment well if they want it bad enough they'll go through it stop that right knock it off that's somebody that doesn't really understand addiction when people make the decision they want help they realize they're going to go into some chaos and they're hurting inside. They can't be left alone. They can't be pushed aside. They've got to have somebody that's going to stand there with them and let them know that I don't want anything more than, you know, to see how I can help you. And as you say, somebody other than family. The pattern with family, I found, is that they'll get out and the family will love on them. They're just let them do the thing because they're doing such wonderful things. Right. And then when they start working programs that ha- they start facing some of their be- old behaviors, sometimes they will run to drinking or drugging. And the family will s- suspect that, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want it to get worse. It's going to get worse. And you'll just call them out. I've seen you do that. Yeah. We've got to be sincere. Addicts know that other addicts can see what they're doing, how they're doing. If we can be connected with them, Just when we start seeing these signs, we can support them. And it's not a one-way street because those same people are asked to support each other. I love that. So they, they get well, then they turn around and they help somebody else back up. Correct. And my way of thinking is I've always been one of those that has a great idea for everybody else, but not for myself. (laughs) And I know a lot, most addicts and people believe the same thing about themselves. So I just throw down the curtain and say, okay, I'll listen to your suggestions. You listen to mine. But I only do that with people I know are sincere about their recovery and care. We're not here to get laid. We're not here to get paid. We're here to get another day sober. When you are in this community and you you have your people all around you, you, you're all holding each other accountable. And community is what we need. More than anything. Correct. That's another thing you've hit the nail on the head. When they are in my housing, they got 30-day blackout. They don't get to go anywhere without a trusted member or house member that I approve of. Everybody's always going to meetings, so they can jump in the car and go to meetings all the time. But that way there, they learn how to communicate with their housemates because they're the ones that might save their butt or they might save the housemates' butt. My house is, we, we supply all the food, toilet paper, paper towels, laundry detergent, all this stuff, including tobacco, which is driving me up a wall. <laughs> I don't need them to want for anything. That's uncalled for. There's I need them to have a safe place. When we supply all the food one of the biggest aspects is that somebody in the house is always cooking for the whole house they all come together they're hanging out in the kitchen in the living room and they're bonding eating meals together is huge it is it is and then somebody else wants to do it the next night when we see somebody's going through something because they're staying in their room it gives them a heads up and in my housing everything's two people per room never more Mm -hmm. never less And that's for accountability and isolation. I don't want somebody going into their room and just sitting there. I need somebody like a roommate to walk in and say, 
you okay? And that is just a huge difference. Two people per room, no guests, no nothing. That's their safety. You've always kind of got an entourage whenever you're going to do a project. What I see is people are really proud. They're proud to wear a hand-up shirt. They're proud to say, I'm helping Robert Smiley. And it, it makes them proud because they're finally giving back. And like you said, they know the damage they've done. And how do they get past that? We have a few more minutes. How do they start to get past that so they're not feeling that shame and guilt anymore? We accept it. We, uh, we got to ter- teach them and learn that I was that way too. Mm-hmm. I can't change my past. I can just change my future. Even though you did some really bad stuff out there, that is what makes you the person you are today. If you could change all that, you'd be a different person. But right now, you've got it in your heart to be compassionate towards another. We clean up the records of our past to the best of our ability. You don't spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror. You're not going that way. You want to hear from someone who's been through what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why what you do is so great. When somebody calls you, you follow through or you send somebody to follow through to talk to them. And like you said, even if they're not ready, now they know. They know they have a phone number. If you maybe have a child that is going through this and they're not ready, calling Robert, he can help you understand why it's so important for you to keep the door shut until they're ready. Especially when the addict gets to the point they realize they're not going to get any help and then they turn on the... Uh, you never loved me. You never cared. You you know, you yeah. want me to die. And this is just heart-wrenching for families to hear this. Mm-hmm. But that's when I try and reassure people, you're not dealing with your child. You're dealing with a drug that wants more drugs. Tell me if there's anything you can tell these people listening. Number one, how to donate to you. If you have that in your heart, that it would go a long way. You can donate through the website or Facebook. Which Robert is called Smiley. The Hand Up Project. It's called The Hand Up Project. Okay. Our website is thehanduppproject.org. What I'd really like people to be left with is that you may not understand what we put people through when they're trying to get sober. I don't need for you to understand. I need for the addict to understand. That's what makes a difference. We don't tell people what to do. We share our experience, strength, and hope with each other. And if you think it'll work for you, great, I'll help you walk through it. What I have seen is people say, if he can do it, Exactly. And maybe, maybe I can. Right. And if I fall down, somebody's there to lift me up and not criticize me or beat me up. And what I love about the hand up is that you're not a handout. And so many people want to go and just give and they don't realize how that's actually hurting. And sometimes helping hurts if you don't do it the right way. So if you're thinking about doing this kind of thing, talk to Robert. Like even giving out sleeping bags sounds all good, but now we've got litter all over our streets. If you call me or you want to donate, you want to donate to something specific that I think the money would work better in another organization that needs it, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. (laughs) We're getting ready to open up, hopefully, a very large center. Once we get the donations, it's 96 beds. We're going to be able to service a whole different wide range arrangement. I have a service center there that people can come in on a daily basis and work with other addicts to see what we can do for them. Got a lot of money, and you really want to see a difference in this community. We are a zero tolerance program, and because we're zero tolerance, we don't get a lot of government funding. They want people that are low barrier, Mm. and we're not. Low barrier is they're allowed to drink and drug. I'm seeing all these beautiful buildings going up. They're all low barrier. Whoever's in control won't be able to do anything about it. And the biggest thing there is that we found that if you need help right now, 
I need you to be clear headed. Yeah. I need you to be able to make the appointments. I need you to be able to show up on time. You have to be accountable. And I found when people are low barrier and they're using a, a missing point, I, it takes forever. One of the things that I like to uh, use as an example is Licton Springs was a tiny village. We helped move people in there thinking it was going to help. It was low barrier. Two years later, 70% of the people that moved out of there, after that two years when it shut down, were the same people that moved in. Mm. I run a, ran a couple camps out in the woods, and every six to nine months, these people were getting their lives together. They got jobs. They are moving into their own apartment because they weren't allowed to use in, in the meantime. Yeah. And they were able to get a job, keep a job, show up for a job. So I am zero tolerance. If anybody out there would like to really make a difference, we'd like to see some decent money going towards this program. I have an amazing board um, that will show you our books, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. But we really need zero tolerance. Yeah. There just isn't anything out there. Yeah, I agree with you. And we're talking with Robert Smiley from The Hand Up Project. You can find his website is called The Hand Up Project or on Facebook. And that's where you see you see him in the car with an addict. He's saying, hey, I'm trying to get him uh, to detox. And I love it that you have, you know, one after another. They go to detox, they get into rehab, and then they get into housing without any uh, time in between. And that makes such a big difference. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. I know I have. Join us next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.